Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. In celebration of Black History Month, Hyundai is proud to support the OWN Network. Have you ever thought about your car personality? What's your vibe? Do you like the classic fully gas-powered engine? Are you a best-of-both-worlds type? Driving on battery power while keeping gas on reserve? Or are you more inclined to choose a convenient hybrid ride? Whichever your vibe, there's a Hyundai Tucson to match and a powertrain to get you there. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the 2023 Hyundai Tucson. The 2023 Tucson Plug-In Hybrid is only sold in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, we're doing something a little different. In this special episode, I'm reflecting on some of the most powerful lessons I've learned from my guests so far. Today, we're talking about learning and embracing the power of no. And I'm telling you, there is so much to be gained from experiencing rejection, because if you're not failing, you're not learning. If we want to reach our goals and pursue our purpose, there are going to be bumps in the road, but that's all part of the process. And I'm so thankful that my guests shared how the power of no helped them achieve their biggest dreams. We're going to hear from Curlbox CEO and founder Mylik Teal. There are two things we need to learn how to do. Number one, we need to learn how to sit with that discomfort. And number two, we need to learn how to lose. Actress and singer Danielle Brooks. I got a big old no, and that thing hit me so hard in the face, but I didn't let it stop me. And comedian, actress, and writer, Robin Thede. So the thing I'm going to take away is what you said about looking at things in retrospect Mm -hmm. and saying thank you for the things you didn't get. If I would have gotten SNL, I never would have created history. Mm. I never would have created a Black lady sketch show. (sighs) And in our Sankofa moment... I'm going to tell you about a person from the past who turned their rejection into a triumph and made history. Stay tuned for that. It goes without saying, Mylik Teal is not afraid of making bold decisions. For her, it's about how much can be gained when we decide to not hold ourselves back and not take those no's too personally. Instead, Mylik seems to have taken these in stride and always pushed forward to get what she wanted out of life. But let's be real, rejection is terrifying at its core. But my link offered me a different perspective. If we don't risk rejection, we are denying ourselves the growth 
and opportunities that we absolutely deserve. Here's my leak describing how she became intentional in her search for work. She tells us about the job she went after, even if she didn't check all the boxes. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. So you've said yourself that you're a serial entrepreneur. So I want to know, what's the worst job you've ever had and why? (laughs) (laughs) I prob it will probably be this job that I had for I don't even know if it was 24 hours. <laughs> I got a job. <laughs> I had just graduated college, living with my mom, and I got a job for a makeup company that will remain nameless. <laughs> but the job was to go into various drugstores and literally do inventory. And I remember just kind of like being on the floor, like kind of like sitting trying to count like eyeliners. <laughs> I remember just being like, this is not. It's going to be a no for me. It's funny. I had a similar job. And I, too, was like, yeah. Lord, if you can get me out of here, then I know you can do anything. I know you can do anything. Truly. And, and that job really was like the catalyst for me of like, it is going to be really important that you find something that you don't mind showing up to. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard, but you need to find something that you're going to want to show up to. And that is when I started like, I was watching television. The next job that I got after that, I was watching TV and it was like, find out what Beyonce is getting in her Grammy gift bag. And it was the company that used to make Mm. you all the like gift lounges. And that was actually my first job. I wrote them an email like, hey, I want to come work for you. (laughs) And that was how I kind of just got out of not being intentional about the work in my life. You know, that was just like, girl, if if I'm going to have to work for the rest of my life, you need to be really intentional about what you're going to do. Ooh, I love that. Well, you know what it makes me think about when you were saying that, you writing the email, I'm like, ooh, that was bold. It's almost like we need to uh, reimagine what bold means in today's society. Yeah. I think, you know, oftentimes yeah. when people say someone's being bold, it's like, ooh, you being you being real bold. Like, it's, like, it's a bad thing. It's like, mm, right. you're going a little too far. But the truth is, like, bold yields results, though. Right? like So talk to me about steps you've taken at times in your life where you've just really been bold and where it got you. A part of, like, my journey into all of the things is that you're going to have to take some risks. Mm -hmm. And so I will say that I... I had this, the summer before I graduated, I wanted to work in New York so bad. And so I applied to all these different companies that I wanted to work for. And, you know, I literally, I stayed home over the Thanksgiving holiday writing in the computer lab. That's how old I am. 
<laughs> writing letters. Like, yeah, when you were like 22 and 2010, I'm like, oh, you know, so I'm writing letters about like, I really want to work at your company. And I just think being bold in the sense of like, I don't know what jobs you guys are offering, but I'm my league and I want to work with you this summer. And I would say that I wrote, let's just say roughly 10 letters and I got about three or four calls back. And then one like, the, there was one internship that was paid, but the paid internship that paid for, it was paid and it covered the rent. They were like, we're going to house you and pay you and get you a job. Mm. And they were like, and I don't know if this is bold or if this is cutting up, but it was like, but you need to have this kind of GPA. And I was like, well, had I not had kind of like a depressive episode last semester, this would have been mm-hmm. how I would have done, you know? And just being bold enough to not back down because I didn't qualify, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think so often mm-hmm. when we don't qualify, we quit. And it's just like, I'm not quitting. Like, I'm going to keep it pushing. And so I ended up getting the internship. Um, and that's kind of just been my way is that like, I don't know. I always kind of feel like, I can do this, you know, I can do this. And even if I don't have what you say I need, I know I am the person. And so I I have always maybe probably been a little bit bold in that way. And I, I think because it's like, what's the worst you're going to tell me? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's already, I already don't have it. It's already not happening. So I think that I have just really learned to sit in that discomfort, knowing it's going to pass of like, you're going to throw something out. You may not get the response or reaction that you want or need, and you can handle, Mm. you can handle this discomfort. And even if you can't, expose yourself to it, sit with it. And I don't know, I feel like, let's just say for every five times I've done something and been rejected, at least two out of those five times, somebody circles back with a different opportunity. Because the crazy thing was that internship that I had applied to was for Essence Magazine. Mm-hmm. So they called to say, we don't have any internships, but we loved your application. We actually found you an internship at a job that pays and we don't pay. So I'm always just like, Come you know on. what? Yes. Even if you are being rejected in the moment, I feel like there are two things we need to learn how to do. Number one, we need to learn how to sit with that discomfort. And number two, we need to learn how to lose. Y'all don't know how to lose out here. Mm. Because... Somebody rejects you, you get an attitude, you um you block them, you unfollow, you don't respond, you don't you don't say anything. And I feel like being a really good loser is how opportunities have found me. I'm gonna get a W at some point. I don't know when it's gonna come. At some point. But it's gotta yes. come. Ah, there's so much truth to that. We can dwell on the L's as long as we live, but if we reframe our losses into wins and lean into our faith that God has something better for us on the other side of that no, there's really no such thing as being a loser at all. My next guest shares a really difficult experience that went far beyond getting a no. Actress and singer Danielle Brooks talked to me about feeling like she failed and about why pushing through for her meant taking in the rejection and getting ready to make the next experience a success. We've all been caught in moments of weakness and fear. Believe me, being an actress with all of its blessings also comes with some harsh feedback that at times can be hard to shake off. I remember back in 2015, I booked my first pilot for what I thought was about to be the biggest career move of my life. And when it didn't get picked up by the network, I spiraled, to put it lightly. 
So much of this job is learning how to take the no's and trust that there is a reason for that no. The truth is, sometimes we're not prepared for greatness yet. We have to put a little bit more work in, wait for the right thing to come along. Allowing ourselves the flexibility of falling outside of our plans forces us to put our faith in our life's true destiny. So basically, Danielle helped me remember that the no's teach you lessons, and we can choose to believe that the no's are a part of God's greater plan for us, just like the yeses when they come along. What was the moment in your life? There could be more than one, but tell me the biggest moment in your life and in your career when the lack of a yes or a yes not coming in the way that you thought it was or the way that you wanted it to nearly broke you and you might have wanted to throw in the towel. And how did you get out? Yeah, girl. Okay, I got one for you. Ooh, okay, I'm ready. Um, so... <laughs> I had—my first love has always been the theater. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to dip my toe into TV, film, yes. But theater has always been my first love, you know, hence going to Juilliard. Yes. So after Juilliard, I'm auditioning for hundreds, thousands, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) um, Broadway shows. But I was not really booking them. I would get callbacks after callbacks, whatever. It was this one particular show, Pippin. Mm. And it's crazy because now, like, there was a moment, like, there was times where I, like, I couldn't talk about it, but now, like, I can talk about it. But I, they wanted me to go in for the leading lady in Pippin, which was originally played by Bettina Miller, mm. which I know how much work she put into that. But I was excited because I felt like they were trying to reimagine it with someone like myself. So I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. Like, maybe I can do this. Mind you, I ain't really no dancer like that. And, and how they, old are you? Are you like 21, 22? I am 23, 23, okay. 24. Okay. Somewhere in there. We're doing this audition process, and I had gotten pretty far. Like, I had gone through a few callbacks at this point. And my team at the time said, Danielle, you have one more callback. Um, till they say yes or no, mm. but it's going to be a director session. So when I'm thinking director session, I'm thinking, okay, it's me and the director. We're going to work this thing out. We're going to talk about this script. We're going to maybe get on our feet. Cool. We're going to maybe do some music. Fine. Girl, I get up in this room. <laughs> it's like 20 people, Ooh. suits, all these people, all eyes on me, big producers, all eyes on me. When I tell you my nerves got the best of me, I I couldn't remember any of the music that I had learned. I was like going sharp. The words weren't coming, everything. And I had made every joke in the book to try to like keep from drowning mm-hmm. in this room to like stay up on my feet. But they were just bombing, boom, 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 just falling, just l- losing the room. To the point, one of the casting directors, I saw him on his phone during the audition. Mm. So I stopped the audition myself and I said, I'm sorry, y'all. This is not my best and I cannot present this to you. And this is in front of like Diane, one of the the, like biggest Broadway um, uh, directors. Mm. And I remember crying so hard, being devastated, just a wreck and just feeling like I cannot believe I was that bad and I was not able to pick myself up. I was not 
my strongest. I let fear get the best of me. I cannot believe fear took over my body like that. Mm. And so I had my moment because I believe everybody have your moment, but you got to move on. You got to push through that thing. So I made a decision and I said, you know what? I'm going to get in some dance classes. And I ended up finding this girl, paying her $50 a class to teach me a pot of beret, child, and a sauce. Yes! And I, I said, I'm going to get me in some more um, singing classes. So I started wow. taking dance and singing classes on my own just so that when I got in a room, I was not living in fear. I felt confident. I did mm. not get intimidated by the people in that room. And then I had to form for myself what is it that I do when I prepare the minute before I get into an audition room? So crazy enough, my singing teacher at the time, she was like, I don't know. She just told, we talked about Jesus. We were talking about the, the blood of God. I don't know. Mm. And maybe something we were talking about, some spiritual stuff. And I got this idea to wear something red in any audition to just remind myself that God is with me. He has covered me. Oof. And so now well. I wear like red underwear in auditions. Wow. <laughs> That's my way of reminding me that God is with me. The blood of Jesus is covering moi. And so you are taking me out. That's oh my what goodness. I did. So let me really mm. take you out. Mm. Guess what the next audition was? Let me guess uh, the color purple on Broadway. <laughs> Oh, and you were dressed like a uh, lady in red from uh, <laughs> I know from, the, from Color Girls. Girls. You are hilarious. I ain't go that far, sis. Okay. But, um, but yeah, that was my next audition. Mm. And girl, I put my like how soon after head. Danielle? Like how soon after? Like oh, how no, soon is the Pippin breakdown? It was probably like five, six months later. Oof. Yeah, it was probably five, six months later. And I remember it was three of us left. It, I'm not going to say who the other two women were, but two women that I really know are heavy hitters that yeah. were going out for Sophia. But I remember saying, being in that room before going into this audition in the waiting room and being like, you know what? You ain't got nothing to fear, baby. You did the work. Mm. You centered yourself. You're ready for this moment. It's yours. And I booked that mug. And it changed my <laughs> life, man. And it's crazy because what I also realized is like your, your desires and dreams are so minute to what God mm. has for you, like mad small compared to what he has. And I wanted that Pippin thing so bad. And I thought that was for me. But when I look back, that thing closed two months from when I would have started it. And you know what? Listen. I would have done that part thinking that was all my be doing. I was the reason it closed. I would have went in with that idea. And then God said, you know what? I'm going to put you in Color Purple. The first Broadway show that you ever watched with your dad at 15, you're mm. going to do 10 years later, playing the part that Oprah did on this movie. You're going to be interviewed by Oprah. You're going to get a Tony nomination and win a Grammy all mm. for this, your first Broadway show. If that ain't God, I don't know what he is. Nor do I. So it's God. <laughs> That's the thing of like, 
You got to be also ready. We be wanting mm-hmm. stuff, but we ain't ready. And God said, look, little heifer, I'm going to have to get you together. <laughs> you going to take yourself on over here. Let me go on and put you in this experience so I can tell you what you need to do to get ready for what I got for you. And that was those no's. You asked a question about the no. I got a big old no. And that thing hit me so hard in the face that I didn't let mm-hmm. it stop me. Because I knew there was something, I knew what God promised me. And I had to, like, that's where the faith and the hope comes in. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to know what God has promised you. And it might not look like what you think it's supposed to look like. Half the time, 90% of the time, it's not going to look like that. So go with the process and be also ready. For me, what you just said just touched me. I can't even tell you how much, not only it touched me, that I needed to hear it right now. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, it's it's this, it's the thought and the ideas surrounding belief in oneself. I'm finding that I think that that's more important than whatever talent or intellect you mm-hmm. really possess as a human being. You have to believe. Mm-hmm. And you have to believe not only in yourself, but what you said in what God promised you. If you know what you were promised, then you know you're going to get it Mm -hmm. because he doesn't make false promises, right? So that for me is just, and your ability to to humble yourself, to say, that really hurt. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to use my own money, Mm -hmm. of which I probably don't have that much Mm -hmm. of, but I know that this is an investment in myself. That's right. And so now we're getting FaceTimes from Oprah welcoming you into (laughs) this beautiful family. (laughs) So I want to know, how did it really feel? There's no word to describe the way that I felt because they really did get me. They told, basically they lied to us, sister, (laughs) because they told me that I was supposed to have a meeting with Blitz, the director. And by this time, this process had been going on for at least nine months of mm. meetings. And the funny thing is when they told me I had to have this one last meeting with the director, I was like, this, now this is the moment where I'm about to say no, because I'm over this. Because right? <laughs> I done yep. did a lot of humbling and I've done a lot of moving the ego out the way, but now y'all stretching this mug. But I said, <laughs> you know what? Nope. I am going to lead with grace. And humility, and I'm gonna sit my damn butt right on in that seat and put that Zoom on and see whatever this man want to talk to me about. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> that girl, the fuck? it's just so crazy <laughs> because the guy's talking to me and he's like, "So Danielle, what's this process?" He don't talk like that, but I'm like, "What's the?" <laughs> And I legit was almost about to look for a way to get out of that conversation and just be like, just call me when Blitz is ready to talk. But I was like, you know, I'm going to answer this man's question. (laughs) Girl, when when Miss Oprah popped up on that screen, I lost it, as Uh you clearly can see. And I remember, like, I was so happy first to get the job, but then also to thank her because I felt like, I never really got an opportunity to say thank you the way I wanted to to her Mm. from the first time. And the reason being is I don't ever like, especially big, uh, big, um, 
big beings like Oprah, big icons like Oprah, to think that I want anything from them. So Mm. most of the time I end up shying away from them and I just don't talk to them because I'm like, I want you to know I'm genuine. I don't want nothing from you. You know what I'm saying? Like it it just naturally happens, a relationship, it naturally happens. I'm here for it, but I'm not going to like be doing the most. So Because you know what that feels like. Yeah. So I shy away. And I did that during the first process. And so I didn't get to say thank you how I wanted wow. to. And and so I was so happy to get that opportunity. But then my, I told my husband, he, I said, husband, when he got off, I was like, baby, did you hear that? He's like, I ain't hear nothing. <laughs> I got the job. And he picked my 230-pound butt up. <laughs> he spun me around. And then the first thing we did after he spun me around, we got on our knees and we prayed and thanked God. For this moment, because um, it's a big one. And I'm I'm grateful that all of the things that I've went through have led me to this moment where I can receive it and not be not be scared of it or feel, you know, that it's too big for me. Like, that's what took is taking me a long time with this industry to feel worthy you know, because you hear all these stories of women who've been in this industry for 30 years and still ain't got their, you know, due and, and their flowers mm-hmm. and all these things. And it's like people look at me and I remember it when we first when I first came into this industry and I was talking about, oh, I've been doing this for <laughs> I've been struggling for a year. And women be like, what the heck you talking about? Hell, I've been in this business for 10 years, you know. But the thing people forget is that I have sacrificed some things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I did not go to a normal high school. I didn't have the football games and I didn't pledge and I didn't get to. There was a lot of sacrifices that I made along the way to this moment. And there was times where... Because I realized, oh, wow, like people have been really in this industry longer than I have and have not gotten their flowers. Sometimes you feel like, well, am I worth this moment? Like, Mm. why me? You know, maybe I am a fraud because this is my first Broadway show. No, Danielle Brooks. No, you are (laughs) deserving. You put in the work. You did what needed to be done. You have this relationship with God and he told you what was supposed to happen for you. Girl, if you don't go stand in that, stand on it. You better get on that platform and hold that gold trophy like they do at the Olympics. Yes, this your moment. Danielle reminded me that every opportunity for growth is worth pursuing, even if it stings a little. Because she's right. We're all deserving and need to know our worth to get what we want out of life. Sometimes it just takes a little perspective to see things in that light. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Robin Thede had a slightly different experience with the power of no. For Robin, she needed the nose along the way to remind her to not compromise her vision. I think we all have this plan, this idea for how our lives are going to go. I knew I wanted to be an actress from a really young age, and Robin knew she wanted to do comedy sketches. 
but sometimes our journey to the top can go a little off course. By going up all the switchbacks that lead us to the peak, we learn to master our craft. That's because we're learning from our own mistakes and from the achievements of those around us. Having the blessing of time and lived experiences prepares you to sit at that table with that boss, those executives, that director, whoever it may be that holds the keys to your next opportunity. And those experiences give us the confidence to say, yes, I am worthy. And what's more, I'm ready to be triumphant. Let me prove it to you. In this excerpt from our interview, Robin describes her long ascent up the success mountain and what it took to get a Black Lady sketch show on HBO. So you knew early on, like me. I was an early on, like, oh, I yeah. never wanted to do anything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live from the time yeah. I was, like, eight years old. Yeah. So that's the other thing about this sketch I was like, it didn't just come out of nowhere. Like, I auditioned for SNL a decade ago. I didn't make it. Like, this is, I've been in 20 sketch groups, most of them all Black women. So this is, like, earned over a career. Like, you know, I didn't just show up and know how to play hundreds of characters. Like, I've been yeah. working on it since I was 13 years old. But it did take a career long. I couldn't have done that at 22. HBO wasn't going to buy a show for me at 22. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I thought I could have done it, I had to be ready. Yeah, I had to be ready. You look back and you're like, what was... I didn't even want a show. That show wouldn't have worked. That show wouldn't have... Never. Made, you know, I even that pilot I was shooting in New York when I met you, like, if I did that, if that had gotten picked up, I wouldn't have been able to have been Joelle and Dear White People. Yep. So... You mentioned, you know, really wanting to create the space for yourself and for our peers, right? Um, and that's what birthed a Black Lady Sketch show. But in hearing you say it, it sounded easy. Like, you saying it, like, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it, so I just created it, but I know it wasn't. <laughs> I know it was right. incredibly right. difficult. So... Tell me a little bit about that experience because, you know, even yeah. for me as a content creator, I, we have these ideas that we know are worthy of being, mm. you know, on screens or in people's homes. But the road to get there always seems like Ooh. this should not be this hard. I can see the void in the, in the market space, in the industry, why can't this content just be plugged in? Now, a Black Lady Sketch show is now plugged in, but what was the journey to get it plugged in? It is funny because when we first um, premiered, people were like, why hasn't this been a thing before? This is the first time ever in 2019 in the history of the world. <laughs> um, and and to be fair, there was a Black woman-led uh, UK sketch show called Three Non-Blondes or something, but I don't think it was... I don't know who all involved was Black. I know there were Black women in the cast. But in terms of American sketch comedy, and, and by and large, this is the biggest high-profile sketch comedy show that's, you know, created by, written by, starring, produced by, blah, 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 Black women. Uh -huh. So, no, it wasn't easy. Um, I had actually sold it, and I wasn't going to be in the cast initially because mm. I was doing my late-night show on BET. I sold it to another network and other than HBO. And they, for six, seven months while I was making my late night show, we just kind of went back and forth on the budget. So the network that we had sold it to just wasn't quite getting me uh -huh. there with the money. And because I had been head writer, creator, executive producer on a bunch of shows, I was like, oh, I know what I need. 
you know, so this is 20 years, almost 15, 15 years in the business of working my way up as a producer and show creator that taught me how to learn about budgets and how to allocate money and how much I can make a show for, what cameras I need to use. Anyway, in July of 2018, my late night show got canceled and Issa Rae called me and said, congratulations, your show got canceled. Now what are we making together? Because we had been talking about making television (laughs) together and she had her deal at HBO and I didn't have my Warner Brothers deal yet. And so I said, well, you know, I have this sketch show. And it's at a network, but I think the deal's going to fall through because they won't give me the money that I want. So she said, bring it to HBO. And I already had a relationship with the executives at HBO, but I had never sold them anything. So long story short, we went to dinner. They bought it at the dinner. I never wrote a pilot. I never shot a presentation. They sent me straight to series. What? I didn't even have a cast. I didn't even have a cast. I told them who I wanted to get, and I luckily got those people. Wow, um, Robin. Yeah. They sent me straight to series six episodes, And it was on within nine months and then got immediately nominated for three Emmys for a season. It's crazy. It's crazy. Viral, sketches viral in the millions on YouTube, you know, big ratings. But you know what's funny? Even about that, when I was making the deal with HBO, I said, uh, the thing, I said, I have this out of the network. And here are the things I need. And it really wasn't financial because sketch is going to cost what sketch is. And it's always going to be notoriously, you know, at a certain financial level. And that's fine. But I said, I want to make a cinematic show and I want black people to be able to watch it. And black people don't have HBO like white people have HBO because they didn't at the time. (laughs) And so I was like, I need to put at least three sketches a week on YouTube. So I'm not going to put the whole episode up, but I need to put at least three. And I'm telling you, it's going to help generate, you know, viewer and viewers and it's going to pull people to HBO. And now, oh my God, now that we have HBO Max, people are like, I only got HBO Max to see this show in Insecure, you know? And it's so, yeah. I love that. So, so it's been a journey, but um, in a way it was easy, but it, it was only easy because of a culmination of many, many years in this business and knowing the worth of the show mm. I wanted to make, mm. knowing exactly what it was going to look like, knowing exactly who I was going to cast and knowing I knew how to make this show. It, you know, I what we have in common, and I always say, is that, um, you know, my career is dedicated to Black women. And I'm yeah, unapologetic same. about that. And obviously you yeah. are too, because you named your show a Black lady sketch show, which literally leaves <laughs> nothing to the imagination. No we know, yeah, we know exactly <laughs> what the show is about. But with... You know, to me, well, no, I'm not going to say that. To me, it's not a bold name. But to the Mm. industry, to the world, it was was probably audacious. They were probably like, who is this lady thinking she can just call it a Black Lady Sketch Show? But that's what it's, for me, This the, the, the journey to a Black Lady Sketch Show is the journey of going where you are celebrated, not tolerated. Ooh. Right? Say that. Leaning on... Not only leaning on, but being transparent with people who you know have a shared vision. You share a vision with, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. I know that's who Issa is for you. Issa is that for for so many of us, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that is the beauty of this story is that, you, you, you know, you're trying to figure out with this other network, six, seven months. You knew what, what type of budget this show deserved, yeah. And rather than getting scared or panicking or or just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to sign it. I just don't want them to take the show away. I'm just going to do it. Well, what if nobody else takes it? You said, if this ain't where it's supposed to be, it's not where it's supposed to be. But I yeah. know that this is supposed to be on TV, and it is, and it is 
a mainstay and it is so important. And I'm just so grateful that I'm learning the heart behind it because it makes sense why it works. Is because it came from such an authentic place, Robin. It did. Thank you for saying that. And and you know what I will say? That's why when it happened, it happened so fast. And Issa, you know, said, look, this is your show. I'm just slapping my name on this because I want people to know that, like, you know, it's the real deal. And there's an argument to be made that I could have made the show without her. And I will say to the other network's credit— they matched the money that HBO gave us. Awesome. And it's not all about money, right? Yeah. So they came up and they were like, oh, oh, somebody else wants it? We'll come in. And so then I had two equal offers on the table, but the difference was Issa. Yeah. And the difference was we had a black executive at HBO at that time. Like we just had like a really, we had a few, sorry, we had a few. Um, mm. And that was really important to me because mm. I didn't want to be given notes by people who didn't look like me. And so, and that's a very privileged thing to say as a showrunner and a producer, because that is very rare. Um, And that's why exactly what you're saying, this was just meant to be. So I want to ask you, Robin, what is one piece of advice that has really gotten you through the fire? Mm. Well, I'll say that no matter how talented you are, it still requires work. And every level you get to requires more and more work. I remember thinking in an acting class 20 years ago, if I could just be a series regular. I remember auditioning auditioning for the game and getting so close. And I was like, oh man, if I could have just been a series regular, my whole life would be cool. Mm. And then I, and then now as a person who's a series regular, I'm like, oh, there's way more work involved than I was ready to do <laughs> at that time. It really is. It really is. Like I, I was not ready. I was mm. not ready because I wasn't ready in my self-confidence and I wasn't ready in my belief in myself. I knew I was talented, but I didn't understand how to navigate the insecurities that come with being an actor and having people tell you you're not good and so you don't deserve to be paid, which is essentially what every audition was, you know? And Mm. and then I had to learn that in truth, it wasn't that at all. That just wasn't for me. And Mm. that really is the truth. I think the best single, sum it up in a quick sentence advice that I've heard recently is from Natasha Rothwell, who said, don't be perfect, be prolific. And that blew me away. Don't be perfect, be prolific, which means you don't have to beat yourself up for every small failure or even every big failure, as long as you're leaving a legacy that you're proud of. And that was really, really, really amazing to me um, to hear. And it just shook me to my core when she said that. So I think about that now, because even in success, you're always trying to catch that next big fish, whatever it is. Um, and I think we're not patient enough with ourselves once we have been on Dear White People on a Black Lady Sketch Show and all these things. Then it's like, now you're like, oh, what's next? What's next? What's next? Everybody's, they're going to forget about me if I'm not on something. And it's not true. And I think you just have to trust that that the things that are meant for you come come easily, but as a result of hard work, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's so good, Robin. I... It's making me think, I I like to uh, close out with like what we're each taking away from this conversation. Mm. Uh, Mm. And I'll share mine. What what I'm taking away is getting close is a win. Oh, I needed to hear that because 
I am so incredibly hard on myself. I'm my, mm-hmm. I'm my worst critic. I am so tough on myself. But it's the reminder of, you know, it's like what they say. You are kind of who you're surrounded by. If I'm surrounded by such wonderful, prolific, intentional people, and they're in turn surrounded by my energy and my spirit, then there's no way that I can fail. Getting close means that I am closer to whatever I want, uh, whatever the goal is. And, and I really, I just, I, it's, it's, I'm like having a mind blown moment because I can't dismiss those beautiful moments. It wasn't for me, but that means that something else is around the corner. And, you know, to me, you, your life, your career, and, uh, you know, the legacy that you are building and creating is evidence of that. And I'm so grateful that you are someone who is in my orbit. And your wins are legitimately my wins, Robin. Yeah, 1,000%. 1 same. billion percent. I was jumping up and down when you got nominated for that Emmy like I got nominated for my first <laughs> Emmy. It's true. I, I promise to goodness. I'm screaming. I'm calling you. I'm I calling believe Quinta. that. It's, it's the I truth. Know. And it feels so good. And I, I just, I'm just so grateful for your light for your spirit, and for everything you're doing for us. Us. Well, all caps with a period. Um, yeah. Yeah. Black so black with a capital B. Listen, yes. I, I feel the same way about you, and thank you for saying it. I receive all of that. It just warms my heart. I, but that's what we have to be. That's what we have to be in this industry if we're going to make it. Because if you spend your time bitter and jealous about what other people are doing, it only affects you. It only hurts you. That other person is not thinking about you. And and not in a bad way, right? They're just doing their grind and they're beating themselves up over things. And it's just a wasted effort. So the thing I'm going to take away is what you said about looking at things in retrospect mm. and saying thank you for the things you didn't get. If I would have gotten SNL, I never would have created history. Mm. I never Woo! would have created a Black Lady sketch show. <sighs> we would have still never had this platform. And all of these women who have come through and men and people of all ages, all sizes, all looks. I mean, it's really important to me. Angela Bassett told me, I did the show because you asked and you knew I could be funny. And no one has ever thought that about me. Mm. Angela Bassett. (laughs) And then she got nominated for an Emmy for her performance (laughs) on the show, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, so her first big comedic thing, she gets nominated for an Emmy for. And it took a Black woman showing her. Yvette Nicole Brown said the same thing. I've been on TV for decades, and she said it took a Black woman putting me on her show to get me nominated for an Emmy. Wow. And that's what we have to do, and that's it. That's the thing that keeps me going. That is my radical self-care. That is my reward as I'm doing this work. It's so beautiful to see, and I hope we just continue to be able to do that for each other. And I tell my friends, too, okay, when you get your show, hire me, because we don't know what's around the corner, and that's okay. You know, and I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. I love that Robin Thede is reminding us to celebrate each other and sharing the power of no in her own life. Before Robin, we heard excerpts of my interviews with Danielle Brooks and Mylique Teal. You can find the full episodes from Mylique, Danielle, and Robin in our podcast feed, Trials to Triumphs, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. After the credits, the no that I think changed the course of history. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. 
This episode was mixed by Kojin Tashiro. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tyndall. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one. So since this episode was like a best of reel, I thought I'd give you a little bit of fresh content. This week, I'm answering my own history-related question. Who is one person from the past who used the power of no to change the course of history? Here's what I think. One person from history that refused to take no at face value is writer James Baldwin. After the success of his first book, Go Tell It on the Mountain, Baldwin wrote Giovanni's Room, a book that was actually rejected by his American publisher back in 1955. He was told that by writing a book about gay and bisexual love, a topic that was not widely accepted at the time, Baldwin would be alienating his Black audience. Rather than being deterred by that no, Baldwin found a way to get his book published the next year. And Giovanni's Room has become one of the most influential novels to date. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.